Welcome in to Two Foreign Drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of Two Foreign Drafts, a Rookies and Draft Prospects podcast. Today, we're looking at an early, an early list of the top three 2022 NFL draft prospects at every offensive position. We're going to do defense here soon on another episode, every offensive position ahead of the 2022 NFL draft. And at the back end of the podcast, a friend of the show has almost been on here as much as Mike has. Bucks offensive tackle Tristan Wirfs, fresh off a Super Bowl and a Super Bowl tattoo. Tristan Wirfs joins the show at the back end. Let's get it. know that we recorded that Monday episode before an absolute sender of a Memorial Day weekend. And I kind of wanted to start with a handful of stories here, if I could. Oh, we got stories. Yeah, yeah. We have a handful. Not all we can tell, but we have a handful. Can we bring up the chick that will not be named whose mom drinks three full bottles of margarita mix a week? Can we talk about it? Can we talk about it? Because we need to talk about it. I need need a postmortem. We met a girl who thought that was a good idea to tell us. Like she doesn't, her mom doesn't even drink like the, the tequila version. It was just, the just, margarita mix. just the margarita mix. She's like, yeah, my mom goes through three a week and she had like a mini shooter of it. And I was like, is she alive? I don't know. Like there's so much sugar and garbage in those margarita mix things. Uh, yeah. I, I can't imagine one, like buying those margarita mix things. They're trash. It's, you might as well just buy like a, a, a tub of sugar and pour it in water and that's like about yeah that it's it's absurd that she mentioned that i could not believe it the other thing is uh saturday had a hell of a brunch had the worst avocado toast i've ever had which saying that out loud just now i feel like hipster trash but still it was the worst objectively the worst avocado toast i've ever seen they grabbed like guacamole smear from like the local grocery store put it on like barely toasted bread and then topped it with the most fried eggs like the, i'm ter- in terms of like how fried were they like two days fried on the pan and then they threw like a random slice of tomato on the side it was, the, it was the worst. It looked like Fire Festival. We went to a place that serves bottomless mimosas for 10 bucks. I don't know if what you expected, like culinary <laughs> They also had truly on tap. Here, if you expected them to have, I'm not even sure there was a kitchen in this place. Like you couldn't find, <laughs> the, wait, the waiters came out of just like a door that led to, I think it was a closet. Who knows? So. Who knows? They were scraping fried eggs off the turf. But that same day, we went to Rosedale, nice day bar here in Cincinnati. And I made them, I was on a mission to put as many beer tabs as I could in your hoodie. Oh, yeah. You did Why not like this. Do that? I don't know why I did that. I was on a mission, but we ended up getting, I was, you, you asked, had immediate, immediate karma from it too. Oh, uh, no, yeah. Slice your finger open. I, sli- I sliced my finger open. It, and when you cut your finger, it like will bleed incessantly. Yeah, It'll legitimately. I, know, I bite my fingers. It's. It, it, it was bleeding all over. I didn't notice at first, obviously, because I'm ripping off everyone's beer tabs. I was going to every table in the bar and asking them for their beer tabs. I ended up getting 65, by the way, in your hoodie. But cut my fingers, bleeding everywhere. What an accomplishment. Asked, Just like I asked the bar put it on for your a, resume. <laughs> I asked the bar for a band aid, and um, I can't put it on myself. I'm struggling to put it on myself. Then at this place, the, I had to, I went into the girls' bathroom and asked anyone I could to help me put this thing on, and it looked like a chainsaw massacre in the sink because I'm like spraying blood everywhere. But these two moms ended up helping me out, which was uh, which was quality time. Why'd you have to go in the girls' Because at Rosedale, the boys' bathrooms are solo, and I knew oh, no one okay. else would you be in there. I was help. looking for bodies. Gotcha. I needed bodies. So gotcha. it, was a, gotcha. it was a crazy weekend. Bounced back and forth, but it was a lot of fun. Why am I wearing the Sam Darnold jersey? Yes. If you're watching on YouTube, I'm wearing a Sam Darnold jersey. Founder of PFF, Neil Hornsby, close friend of mine and my boss, Got me the Sam Darnold jersey because I remember I mentioned on a, a couple podcasts ago, I guess maybe a couple months ago, that I'm kind of getting into the Panthers. Maybe a little bounce back season. I might get a Sam Darnold jersey. Well, now I got a Sam one. Darnold jersey now. <laughs> I got a Sam Darnold jersey now. So we're in that if you are watching on YouTube, which we encourage you to do. Go watch on YouTube, like and subscribe to our YouTube channel in addition to the podcast if you're listening on the podcast. You're ready to get into these top 2022 draft prospects. You know it, baby. Quarterback is where we're going to start. And the number one quarterback on PFS draft board right now, and I think the number one quarterback on everyone's draft board right now, or mostly everyone's. Yeah, uh, I was going to say, I haven't seen a lot of... It's it's Howell or this guy. Yeah. It's Spencer Rattler, Oklahoma quarterback. Spencer Rattler, Oklahoma quarterback, guy that 
cannon arm. Some people are comparing him to Patrick Mahomes or a baby Patrick Mahomes. I think I've seen that article once or twice on the internet here. But Spencer Rattler, number one quarterback right now. What do you like? What do you don't like? I know you're working on the 2022 draft guide right now. Where are you at with Spencer Rattler? Baby Patrick Mahomes. I I, I can't get on board with that. It's <laughs> just absurd. But I, the he is kind of this sort of trend of we're going towards plays outside the pocket, plays outside of structure. Rattler's taken that to its extreme. Like, like it's if it's like a he's the exponential curve just going to the to the moon right now because his game is damn near all outside of structure. Like there's very few the vast majority of his plays are like his big plays are outside of structure. Like he had the highest grade outside the pocket after Zach Wilson uh last season. Like he, he is exceptional in that regard at creating on his own. Now, the inside structure, some of the bad decisions with football, like he got benched against Texas, I believe, this past year. There's, there's still some bad on his tape, but he's a true sophomore. For a true sophomore, what he can do from athletic perspective, arm perspective, there's a reason why, like I said, or I th you said, I think everyone has him as QB1 right now. And looking at his grades this past year, a 92.5 PFF passing grade on over 370 dropbacks. And I think what's interesting, too, is his big-time throw rate, 9.4%. Very high for, for Spencer Rattler, 32 total big-time throws. And after the Kansas State game, where he had four turnover-worthy plays, one of his worst games of the season, really kind of turned it around. He didn't only have, what, eight more uh, uh, turnover-worthy plays after that. I'm interested to see how much those percentages change. I think when you're talking about... When anyone's getting baby Patrick Mahomes, I think you've got that outside of structure stuff, but also a lot of risk throws. Like Patrick Mahomes will always have a higher percentage of turnover worthy plays than an Aaron Rodgers or Drew Brees. I know Drew Brees isn't playing anymore, and maybe Rodgers isn't either, but hey still, yo. it's a different type of quarterback. You know, when you're Patrick Mahomes or a Spencer Rattler, even Jameis Winston, like you're, you're chasing these deep throws all the time, you're going to put yourself in a position where you are more often throwing risky passes. And I think you saw that in Spencer Rattler's tape. I also watched QB1, that series of him in high school. And I've heard some things about his background being kind of a douche. I will say on QB1, I'm sorry, kind of comes off a little like a douche. Like he kind of looks I like gotta a- watch it now. He's kind of got the opposite of a chip on his shoulder. He thinks like he's on a hmm. pedestal. I feel like you can tell he knows he's the yeah. shit. Like, and I think that is interesting. I think there's a handful, that could rub some people the wrong way. But again, that's just reading into the background, which I always do. But still, it's an interesting interesting uh, background on Spencer Rattler, who's been like the guy for so long. I'm trying to, sorry, I wasn't really listening. I was trying to think of like, what would be the opposite of a chip on a shoulder? Like what's the? Chip on under your feet. Uh, that makes no sense. Dip on the shoulder. <laughs> there's no dip on. <laughs> All right, let's move to the next quarterback here. Spencer Rattler. Number Couldn't one think quarterback. of anything good. Spencer Rattler, number one quarterback on PFF's draft board here. Number two, Sam Howell of UNC. The biggest question mark I have with Sam Howell, and I know a lot, you know, a lot of people like what, like what he did this past season, is can he maintain a high, grading, high grading profile, high production at UNC with so many pieces lost? You know, the yeah. two running backs are gone. Deami Brown, Daz Newsome. This is going to be a completely different offense. The only kind of constant there is Sam Howell. Yeah, now he... I thought he even took strides in terms of his accuracy this past season, uh, which you, you needed to see. Like that, that's good. Like he, he had shown improvement, but I, I think this next year is going to be very key to his evaluation. Well, hell, obviously, it's going to be his last year of college football, or could be his last year of college football if he does declare. But it'll be because he doesn't have quite the blue chip type of talents around him. Like if he's successful, a lot of it is going to be on his right arm. And he's not going to have the favorable situation that a even Spencer Rattler has. Like it's not going to be one of these cushy situations where you're going to have to be like, was it him? Was it the playmakers? Was it the offense? It's like no. If it, if he puts up numbers this year, it's going to be him. Now, some of that's also the fact that North Carolina's offense, and we've said this a number of times with Howell, is quote unquote college. It, it is not. It is verticals. It is screens it is rpos more rpos than anyone else college football last year it's very simplistic it's not going to be a one-to-one -one translation of he plays well in that he's going to play well in the nfl and it's going to scare i think teams are more not as afraid of that like it's getting less and less of a big deal because a lot of that same stuff is being utilized in the nfl but it's still a deal when projecting to the league and so i i feel like right now if we're drafting, I, I would take you know Spencer Rattler number one overall. I'm not sure I would take Sam Howell number two overall. Like, I'm not sure like he's. I don't. I wouldn't put him at that level of 
franchise quarterback type of This isn't a yet. Lawrence so, Fields, you know, you're not going to yes, have them stacked correct. right now. Right now, obviously, you know, things yeah, can change. Yeah, yeah. This is still so early in the process. Sam Howell, six foot one, two twenty five, listed on UNC's site there. An 83.3 grade in 2019, where he had, you know, over 450 dropbacks. And, this is pa- and then this past year, year. Yeah. improving on that, 91.5 PFF passing grade. You like to see that trajectory. We talk a lot about grading progression. I mean, at all positions, but when you look at the quarterback position, you know, a lower rate of turnover-worthy plays is past season a higher number of big time throws and a higher rate like this is getting better now can he do it without the weapons around him can he continue to have like that success because if he does because he does if he does he does enter that conversation of is he the number two overall pick or could mm-hmm. he compete with spencer rattler to be the number one overall pick all right moving now to and i was i was surprised here i thought your number three qb was going to be a little bit of a different name i thought this was going to be slovis i thought this was maybe going to be strong daniels but no liberty baby liberty malik Willis, guy who I think might be the hashtag fun to watch, most hashtag fun to watch player of all these college quarterbacks right now. Like he is electric. He kind of moves like a running back. He's, he's kind of built like a running back yeah. and has an absolute hose. Hose. Yeah. He's the most physically gifted quarterback college football. I think that's not really a debate. And it's also more indicative of just how I feel about this quarterback class than after. Like I said, I wouldn't draft Howell number two overall. And then there's no other guy I'm like, I would take in the top 10 to 15 to 20. Like, there's no other guy I really feel great about a first rounder. Now, it could get there. You have some talent in this class. Like, you got guys who have been starting since true freshman year, like Slovis, obviously Howell. Um, but Malik Willis, right now I put him at QB3 just because if we're just talking about tools, then if I, there's no one that I feel great about, then let me chase the guy with the high end tools. And the guy who has, when you're that talented as a runner, and he's the best runner of all these guys in this. You know, sort of towards the top of this quarterback class. That that's a high floor at the NFL level. It yeah. makes your life easier at the NFL level. So, so he's QB three right now. But again, he's got a long way to go. His even just mechanics are all over the map with him, um, and that's why he's you know didn't even win the starting job at Auburn's transferred now to Liberty or and this is his going to be his fifth year of college football. Some wild decisions, too, on his tape. A lot of turnover the yeah. plays. 5.3% turnover the play rate. That's easily the highest of the top three quarterbacks. You saw Rattler and um, Rattler and Howell under, I think, closer to 3%. All right, after that, we've talked a little bit before we got on the podcast about this quarterback yeah. class overall. And I think a few months ago, we said, oh, man, this quarterback class next year doesn't look as good. Like, there's not a Lawrence and a Fields and a Wilson in this mm-hmm. class. However... Obviously, a lot can change. I think what we can confidently say right now that this quarterback class might be a bit deeper. There are a little bit, there are more names maybe that you can see getting drafted inside the first four to five rounds than you could maybe the previous year. Yeah. So I guess last year we had eight guys go. You had the five in the first round, three in the third. They all went third, right? No, one second in the second. So one in the back of the second, two more in the third. And then there were two more drafted the whole round. So yeah, eight, 10 guys drafted in the whole class. I think you see more than 10 guys drafted. I think there's like talent to be had here. But it's not going to be like the top five at this point. This doesn't look like shaping up to be the top of the class, nearly as top heavy. So uh, I'll, I'll give you one. So for each position, let's do, we'll do the top three, and then I'll give you one guy that's a really intriguing name to me. Honorable mention, maybe. Yeah, maybe not an honorable mention, but it's just like fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Carson Strong, Nevada quarterback. The, the more I watched him in, in this quarterback class, I'm like, ah. I don't know if it's just the fact that I really like the way he throws the football, like S F. Aesthetically? Aesthetically. How come I couldn't fucking say it? Can you even see right now? Apparently not. I'm wearing my glasses. Um, (laughs) Aesthetically, the way he threw the football, he throws kind of like a catcher, like super tight, just brings it right to his his ear hole, and then it's out, which I love. That is, you got probably the quickest release of these guys in this class. Howitzer for an arm had the farthest throw of anyone in college football last year. I forget who it was against, but it was over... It was over 70 yards, I believe, through the air, or about 70 yards through the air. So he's got a hose. And I, I thought he played – I just thought he, like – there's something there. So I'm intrigued by Carson Strong, the Nevada quarterback. He's a, he's a name to watch going into his redshirt junior year here. I think – so what about Keaton Slovis? Like, can I ask you one more question about the quarterback group yeah. here? Keaton Slovis, I think, is someone that Anthony Trash in the past has said he's going to be 2022 number one overall pick. And there are still yes. people that are really high on Keaton Slovis at USC. I think you look I at this – I saw him hedge on that. What do you say? He said he's going to be number two overall now or something. Oh, did he hedge on that? Here he said he said he'll be the – 
he'll be he's next after Rattler or something. Oh, like no. he, here come the hedges. He's already he's already here come the hedges. Down. But what what in your opinion does Slovis need to improve on to enter at least the first round or top of the first round conversation? Because you look at this past year, did not progress significantly as a passer, just an eighty point one PFF passing grade, only twelve big time throws on the year, under four point five percent big time throw rate. And again, we mentioned big time throws a ton and it kind of sounds like a, it's a terribly named stat. Can I say yeah. that? I hate the name of that stat, but it is PFF's highly graded throws. PFF's highly graded throws that I get graded at one, 1.5 or two. So we grade every single player on every single play on a scale of negative two to positive two at 0.5 levels. You get a one, a 1.5 or a two, it is considered a big time throw in PFF's grading system. And you want to see a high like percentage of those. Throws. You like big time throws? Shout out to Steve Because it, it translates big time blocks, big time whatever. Anything you want, you can have a big time version. <laughs> okay. Uh, but anyway. I like it. 12 big time throws this past year, 13 turnover worthy plays, which again, turnover worthy plays, better named in my opinion, are any, any, any throws that are graded at minus one, minus 1.5, or minus two. Yeah. So he's, he doesn't have a ma- mass farm. And I think that shows him again, the big time throws. So he, the downfield special throws, there's just not a lot on his tape. And then very accurate with football. He's stupid accurate in 2019. Yeah, I mean, Most he's accurate a very quarterback, accurate yeah. quarterback. And he's va- accurate at the intermediate level. Like that's where you'd like to be accurate. But then also the bad decisions. And so like that, that can be cleaned up. But it's like you're kind of just working with a limited tool set at this point. But accuracy is a very, very good starting point. So we'll see how he progresses because there wasn't a ton from 2019 and 2020. All right. Shall we get to the running backs here? Take us with our first running back on PFS draft board right now. First running back on PFS draft board will be Iowa State's Brees Hall. Uh, He's just – his balance is out of this world. So he's 6'1", 215, which like usually 6'1", dudes – don't break a ton of tackles. Like it's tough to stay on your feet when you are so high cut. Jesus. Sorry about that. Um, oh, my God. Wait. We didn't even say it. Oh, my tattoo. Yeah, I was going to mention tattoo. it. Because if you're watching on YouTube, I'm like wearing these shorts that look like they're very short. But it's uh, I'll show on the video here. I have a tattoo. I don't know how close I can get. But, yeah, I got the office tattoo. He went through with it. My God. It's massive, too. It is and massive. it's going to show, like, anytime you're wearing shorts. Dude, it's going to show all day long. Your mom's going to see it the most. All right, go ahead. Brees Hall. All right, Brees Hall. So, again, like, high-cut running backs usually don't break a ton of tackles, but he does. Uh, he broke 63 tackles, 280 attempts this past season. Uh, runs with power. He's 6'1", 215. His, like, one-cut suddenness is exceptional at that size. Did not run behind a good Iowa State offensive line. Uh, Still averaged 5.6 per carry last year with 21 scores. I, I just, he's got that it of what it takes to be a good running back where it's just, the guy doesn't want to go down. It's, what's funny is that, you know, when Anthony Tresh had the top 10 returning college running backs here, he didn't even have Brees Hall all that high. Which yeah. He had Tank Bigsby up there. He had Deuce Vaughn, who is like agreed a fun player like oh, he's yeah. like five foot six for kansas state and like he breaks a ton of tackles he's loose but man in terms of like prospects Brees hall is easily that top prospect right now and do you imagine this next guy here jerry on ely of ole miss do you think he could compete with Brees hall how close is this race uh there are different types of running backs like mm-hmm. it's it's gonna be the, the guy who's gonna compete for Brees hall in terms of like true running back one status i think it's gonna be isaiah spiller who's third on this list texting oh, okay back Jaron Ely is a kind of cup of tea running back that I, I, I tend to go for. He's 5'8", 190. Uh, he's not going to be every down, whatever. But as far as scat back ability goes, he's exceptional. Like, make you miss in the hole. Receiving ability, like, he's got that for days. That, that is what the kind of back you are getting in Jerion Ely. And he's got a little bit more, I think, home run ability than either Hall and Spiller. Not, not a lot of true burners towards the top of this running back class from what I saw in the returners here. So Ely's probably got the best sort of like home run hitting ability of those dudes. And then let's talk more about Isaiah Spiller. And Isaiah Spiller is kind of your NFL very projectable running back. He's got the frame. Yes. Six foot, 225, will run you over and just shred arm tackles left and right. Now, he is very limited speed wise. Like I will be surprised if he breaks four six 
Like, I think Brees Hall is probably a four fives guy. Spiller, probably like a four six. And that's why I just shy away from guys who really don't bring that to the table because that's where the NFL is trending. Speed. Nowadays. But it, if you're looking, if you're fine with a guy that does run a four six, Spiller's going to be pretty damn good in that regard. Like, he, he, is the quintessential sort of power back in this class. I think PFF is ranking all 32 running back units either today or tomorrow. And I'd be interested to know from a roster building perspective what you would do as a GM if you're building a backfield. Because I think the San Francisco 49ers is where I lean. Not how much they've paid, like paying for Yushik, paying yeah. for McKinnon and that type of stuff, but the types of backs they've gone after. Yeah. Like guys with like legitimate track speed. Is how I would do it. Like I don't know if I am chasing 225 type of guys or guys that can be these quote unquote complete backs. I've had this rant before. Like, what does a complete back do for me? I don't want to play a complete back. I don't want to pay a complete back. I want to pay a host of guys that are replaceable and just have a ton of speed and can do things well when my offensive line is blocking correctly. Yeah, I've said, I guess I said this when Zeke Elliott was coming out. Or it's mm -hmm. like people raving about his pass blocking ability. It's like, that's fine. But do you really want, like, subjecting your, the guy who's the best at running the football to you, for you, to third downs being on the field and, like, picking up blitzes and getting hammered? Like, taking shots, unnecessary shots like that. I don't know. Maybe you do. But if I'm actually just running the football, I, I would like a guy who's dynamic with some home run hitting ability. Like, said the 49ers do. I, I, if I was an OC, I'd feel comfortable about how I could create space for running back. I don't need him to be pounding it between the tackles. I think, like I said, yeah, the way the 49ers have built it is more how I lean at the position. I, I definitely take to the fact that being a complete back is not as big of a positive as maybe it's talked about. You know, like, oh, he's a complete back. This is a guy you could take in the first 30, 40 picks. Like, dude, I'm staying away from him. Then. I don't I don't want any you know running back in the first 30 to 40 picks. I'm going to go chase these guys that I can get in, on day three or even after the draft that have a ton of speed and can do different things for me, keep guys fresh, all that type of stuff. All right, give me an honorable mention yeah. for the running back class in 2020. I'll give you an intriguing name here. Zonovan Knight. That is an intriguing name. NC State, and it's a cool name. Z O N O V A N Zonovan, like Donovan with a Z. Z. He zigs uh, and zags sometimes. 48 broken tackles this past year on wow. 143 carries. One of the highest rates of college football. He, he is fairly explosive. He runs a little high, though. I do worry about that. Doesn't lower his pads in the contact. Could stand to do a little bit more of that, but another guy with some exceptional balance on tape. And not a lot of tread on the tires at this point. Only 280 carries through his first two years in college. So excited to see what he does if he gets a bigger workload this upcoming season. What about my guy out of Kentucky? It's not, it's not the last. I thought State you were going to bring up my guy out of Kentucky, the stocky Kentucky back, Chris, Chris Rodriguez. Rodriguez. Five foot 11, 224, 91.6 rushing grade this past year. Almost average four yards after contact per carry. He's an he's interesting. He's a chunker, dude. Yeah, you kind of love him. He's it's tough to bring out. Like, it, but he's he's kind of like that. I don't know. Like he just really doesn't have the juice, in my opinion. Well, he's too thick for the juice. Yeah. He's a he's an interesting back. Maybe not a guy like I would add to my 49ers backfield, but I'm not gonna put Ron Dane on him, but it's uh -oh. like he's like that college back that's just like eighteen year old eighteen year olds have never seen shit like that. You know, like they can't <laughs> bring him down. But I I'm not hating on him too much, but yeah. he's he's just uh He's not up there with the top three, in my opinion. Wide receiver group is up next here. Oh, buddy, I am a huge fan of this group right here. Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave are the number one and number two receivers on PFF's 2022 draft board right now. Both of them from Ohio State. I like Garrett Wilson over Olave. I know some people like Olave over Wilson. Talking to Sean Wade this past year, Sean Wade said Olave is faster, but Garrett Wilson, he said he said a word, I think he said he's just more spectacular. And I was yeah. like, yes, he yeah. is. Like, you see the spectacular catchability. You see, like, he just does shit in the air that you're like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Garrett Wilson is different, and that's why he's number one. Yeah, and some routes, you're just like, he, he's got it all. Like that Odell Beckham-esque sort of just completeness to his mm -hmm. route running ability, where it's just anything you want him to do, he's going to be able to do it. And... Body control in the air after the catchability. He's already broken more tackles than Chris Olave has in his career. And Olave's been obviously starting from a lot longer than Wilson has there. Um, yeah, I, I think he's wide receiver one. And like, we haven't even seen where he can go yet. Like, we haven't see, even seen what he's going to be this upcoming off, uh, fall. So it, it's not a massive gap, but 
I would lean Wilson right now. I would definitely lean Wilson. But they're what both, do you like about I, I think Olave. they're both first rounders, though. But that, I think those are the only two that I'm willing to say for sure first rounders. Man, this wide receiver class is not running deep here. Yeah. Oh, okay, so the next guy on the list. Before we get our next guy on the list, got to bring up Western Southern, sponsor of the Two for One Drafts podcast, the helmet you see right here. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions. Like, when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together we can look to leave, look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Before we get out of the receiver group, one more name to bring up, Traylon Burks. He's a big boy. This guy's a monster. You ain't lying. He is the size speed dude in this draft class. So true sophomore last year, six foot three, 232 pounds. And you see him running away from guys down the football field on his tape. He has legit juice, nine broken tackles last year on 50 catches, good after the catch. And he's got, again, I always say, you worry about with big receivers, can they get off the line of scrimmage or how can they get off the line of scrimmage? And then can they you know, be dynamic in their routes. And you see those things with him. Not, not always. And he's not, he's not that, he's not DK Metcalf level of freak at that size. Like mm-hmm. He is not that kind of guy. But I think he's going to be 4-5, low 4-5 to, to mid 4-4. Four, four, and actually can, that's a, a good enough to get by at, being like I said, six foot three, two thirty two is a horse of a wide receiver. What do you think he actually weighs in that though? That's what he's listed at right now. I bet you he's more on this, maybe just under six foot three, weighing in the two twenties. There's no way he's actually is he full six three, two thirty two? I don't know why you would list yourself at two thirty two unless you clocked in at two thirty two. Like, I guess two thirty two is not a that's fair. That's not, sounding weight for a true. wide receiver prospect. You'd fair rather not. be like two twenty five. So why don't you view him as a first rounder right now? I think the things I said, he's just not quite there as a route runner. He's kind of just a lot of it is him from the slot, kind of going vertical, and that's fine. Like it again, I, bigger wide receivers aren't my type. So for me to even put him at three is true. I should say he's a pretty talented dude, but we'll see how he develops. All right, one honorable mention for the receiver position. I'm gonna go. I, I said Carson Strong for the. QBs, and I'm going to go another Nevada. Uh oh, you're going to Dobbs. Go Dobbs. Dobbs. I think it might be Dobbs. I don't know. I actually. looked up some pronunciations, did not look up this one. Okay, go ahead. But he's got, so he's a 6'2, 200, and he, he's like a long strider. He would just stack cornerbacks and keep going and, and like keep striding away. And so we had a ton of big plays on his tape this past year 17 yards per reception, over 1,000 yards. Had a, and that's an only, that was an, only like uh, eight games or nine games. So pretty productive dude. I thought he could have declared, but I'm intrigued to see what him and Carson Strong do. I think that is going to be a prolific duo this upcoming season. He could be, I mean, he could put up numbers that could put him in the, what should we call it, Belenikoff sort of. Especially yeah. with Strong there. I mean, yeah, he's going to make some plays there. They, their strengths go well together. All right, I'm looking at the pronunciation guide here, trying to identify what Dobbs is. It's gonna it's gonna be some time, but when I get there, I will let us know. I will I'll solve the debate how to pronounce Dobbs here, but or Dobbs, whatever. Um, off the wide receiver position and onto tight end. I know I knew this is gonna be your guy, number one tight end on the board right now, Jeremy Ruckert, baby. He is he's a dog. I, I, I you liked him last year. I mean, he yeah. he thought he was gonna come out last year, but now Jeremy Ruckert comes back to school and uh, could light it up here. Yeah, he would have been tight end three last year. Not again. Tight ends are. It's not a ton of, there's no Kyle Pitts in this year's class coming up. But Ruckert's just easily the best inline blocker of any returning tight end in college football. He is a monster in the run game. Super strong hands, very physical as a route runner, not overly dynamic. He's not a guy I'd ever draft before pick 60. You know, I just don't think he's ever going to be that guy. I don't feel that way about the tight end position. But a lot of guys tight end position, but I think – what he brings to the table is a starting tight end skill set in the NFL. It might not be excellent. You might not be a thousand yard type of guy, but he is a starting tight end in the NFL. Jeremy Ruckert, Ohio State tight end. I don't think I mentioned the school, but Jeremy Ruckert, six foot five, two fifty three. We talked a lot about him as a blocker. I mean, I do think that 
He's going to be a guy to watch at Ohio State this year. Ohio State got a ton of talent at the wide receiving core and at the tight end. Olave, Wilson, Ruckert, um, all those guys. I found out – I found you might have to move up uh, our boy Romeo up the board because I found out how to pronounce his last name. I guess it's Dubs. Dubs. Okay. Dubs is, what, is sick. That, that is sick. Romeo Dubs. That is sick. All right, next one here. This is tight end at Texas A&M. Jalen Weidermeyer, 6'5", 265 this past year, an 84.4 PFF grade. Over 600 total snaps. And each of the past two seasons, Weidermeyer, number two tight end on PFS draft board. Yeah, and he's really close with Rucker. Those two are neck and neck. Uh, Weidermeyer could even pass him because obviously he's younger. Bigger tight ends, too. Yeah, these are big dudes. These are true in-line type of guys. Really good ball skills, Weidermeyer. You see a lot of off um, his frame catches on his tape. It plucks it out of the air. Physical after the catch. He's got 15 broken tackles on 78 career catches. Not going to be the not quite the block that record is yet. Now, again, record's the best, in my opinion, the best block tight end college football. So that helps. But he's a solid blocker in his own right. Uh, like the, he's not going to be. That's not going to be an issue for him when projecting to the next level. So, like I said, those two guys are very neck and neck right now on the PFF on the upcoming PFF draft board come next fall. All right, group of five guy next. Yes. Likely oh. going to be one of my favorite players in this draft. Just kidding. I'm sorry. I hate myself. Isaiah Likely, tight end for Coastal Carolina, stuff. six foot four, two forty five. Where's number four for the Chanticleers? Our Chanticleers, a 92.3 PFF uh, receiving grade this past year, 90.8 overall grade. Dude was a stud. He's played a lot of snaps over the past three years, over 500 in 2019 and in 2020, and then over 200 snaps in 2018. Isaiah Likely, the dude on Coastal Carolina's offense for sure, outside of obviously Grayson McCall. I'm excited to see what this guy does this upcoming season. So he's going to be a senior his fourth year. But so he's, he's listed at 6'4", 245. He, does, he looks like a wide receiver. He looks like 6'4", yeah. 230. He, he looks about the same size as Traylon Burks. Like, honestly, but he could be 245. We'll see. I don't know. He might be. Okay, beef up to that level. If he gets there, because he is the best route runner, has the best speed of any of these top ten. Like he he gets open. They run him outside, and he will beat guys, beat cornerbacks deep. Like he he has that on his tape. Now, again, the obvious caveat of how big actually is this dude? Is he actually a tight end? Mm -hmm. May or may not be, but I'm excited to see it because he's got some real deal. Like I said, route running ability after the catch ability he broke ten tackles on thirty catches this past season. That is insane. Like, you, you saw, you see him just like make guys miss entirely on his tape. That doesn't happen for other tight ends. It, it, Isaiah likely has that suddenness that it takes. Now, is he more a wide receiver or tight end? Eh, who knows at this point? But I'm excited to see what he looks like this upcoming fall. What's that weight that that threshold you look for at the tight end position, specifically with weight, for you to say, okay, I can confidently play him in line. Like, you know, the opposing personnels will respect him, like they will treat him as a tight end. What weight are you? Two forty is the basement of where I think a guy can even just get by. Like mm -hmm. you can maybe get by at two forty, but then it's obviously then a mentality how how they're put together. Those are, there's a lot from that, but I don't I can't fathom a guy being in the 230s and be, getting respect at a tight end just you don't have the heft you're like you cannot i don't care how explosive you are you're not going to be able to take on a 270 pounder or one-on-one -on -one. like at six tech you're just not like no defense is going to say okay yeah, that weight matters size yeah. matters like evan ingram doesn't really get treated like a tight end when you're at his size yeah so it does matter um but even guys in the 240s a lot of them aren't putting it on tape to where anyone's going to respect him as tight end. So it's like 245. Once you get into the 250s, then, yeah, it's pretty much agreed upon that you're probably an inline tight end. But that's why you want to see Kyle Pitts get to 245. You want to see these guys get to that weight to just – because, again, it matters when you're blocking a guy who has 30 pounds on you. All right, just offensive tackle and interior offensive line left here. We're going to jump so to our symbol get, partner. Me, oh, I was going to get the one more intriguing Oh, the one name. more. Give us one more. Give us one, one intriguing name. Trey McBride, Colorado State. We talked about him before last year. He was going to transfer when Colorado State wasn't going to have a season. Then Colorado State had a season, so he stayed Colorado State. 330 yards in four games this past year at tight end. One of the, he's going to be one of the most productive tight ends in the country. Wow. Um, good after the catch. Not great speed, but good enough speed. I, I think this guy's just going to be a solid sort of tight end prospect, but I'm excited to see what he, what kind of numbers he puts up this upcoming year because he could, he could be the – is it the Mackey Award? What's the top? Yeah, the Mackey. Yeah, he could be the Mackey winner because he's going to put up some numbers and 
that Colorado State offense. You love to see. All right, before we get to offensive tackle and interior offensive line, I have to tell you about PFF's new partner with Symbol. That's S I M B U L L, the stock market for sports that allows you to trade sports teams like stocks and earn cash payouts when your teams win. Symbol has blended sports and the stock market to offer you a new way to invest and profit off your favorite teams. The MLB is in full swing for the rest of the summer, allowing you to earn daily cash payouts, and NFL frenzy is still going on. So whoever lands the top of the lands, the top of the market player will be sure to see their team's stock rise. Use promo code PFF and deposit $10 at symbol.app slash PFF to earn a free PFF annual subscription. That's promo code PFF with a $10 deposit at symbol.app slash PFF to earn a free PFF annual subscription. All right, on to the offensive line here, starting with offensive tackle Evan Neal. Yes, the Alabama right tackle from a year ago, the Mekhi Becton-esque sized tackle six foot seven 360 he is a horse. monster the guy is a monster and he is steady athletic at that size like has the feet to mirror and pass protection already grading out exceptionally well 83.7 overall grade this past season only nine pressures allowed started at left guard as a freshman right tackle as a sophomore probably gonna be at the left tackle this upcoming year he's just he's really good the guy is the guy is uh, unsurprisingly a people mover in the run game as well. He's just the cleanest. There's some athletes in this upcoming tackle class. He is easily the cleanest of the bunch, though. And I think now you have that opportunity to play left tackle in the SEC at Alabama. You show up. You are at an 85, 90-plus PFF grade. This is going to be quite the year for Evan Neal, number one tackle on PFF's draft board. All right, next I think on the he's, list. I think he's number one on I'd Everyone's be surprised if anyone yeah. comes out. I mean, especially when you board and it's anyone other than Evan Neal. Because PFF, along the offensive line at least, factors in production so much more than other people do. Because mm-hmm. I mean, a lot not a lot of people have access to some of the production numbers that we do have, like true pass sets, pass pressure allowed on true pass sets, that type yeah. of stuff. So a lot of people aren't looking at that more like game started and height, weight, athleticism. He has all that, but if he but also throws also, the production yeah. in, because I mean, it's the Mackay Becton conversation. We were not super high on Mackay Becton, despite him being one of those rare the rarest people on the planet. And a lot of that was because of some of the stuff that we saw at Louisville and those true pass set numbers and those things. But next guy here, I was surprised to see him at number two. Jackson Kirkland, tackle Washington, six foot seven, two ninety five. Only I think what four games at left tackle this past year, an eighty six point six pass blocking grade. I think I've seen his name float around a little bit. Number two tackle on PFS draft board right now. Yeah, so he was a guard. He started at guard as true freshman back in twenty eighteen and a sophomore in twenty nineteen behind Jared Hilbers and the left tackle who injuries just real screw. Who was that? Whatever. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. But I can't remember. I don't even think he made it to the NFL, sadly. Uh, but this past season at tackle, only two pressures in four games. He's got probably the best mirror of any of these dudes. Like he has quick ass feet. I, you see him jump set a nine technique on his tape, and he just, he got on this dude before he even got out of his stance. The mm-hmm. nine tech. I was like, Damn, he can he can really move. Um, he got he got screwed by the Pac-12 schedule. If he, he play, plays a full year with what he showed on tape this past fall, he, he probably would have been first round conversation at tackle. But he only got four games, yeah. and that's just going to be a tough sell. So that's why he comes back to school. But I think you're going to see a guy who's one of the best pass protectors in college football this upcoming season, and. Probably a first rounder. I'd probably put him in that first round conversation, even though he's kind of still on the slider side, six seven, listed at two ninety five. He he is slim for the position, but that's why he can also move. You're looking well. for that three twenty number, man. You want three twenty. I think three twenty is that tackle number. We're like, oh buddy, he cleared that three twenty. He's got he's got some size to his game, especially when you look think about some of these athletic offensive tackles that have come out. Kirkland's never going to be three twenty. Yeah, but like, there's not a lot of guys hitting even three hundred. Like like David Bakhtiari's slimmer side for the position. He's three ten. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's about where fair again because again size matters like when you have that heft we talked about it on the when why, you have that heft I, honestly might need to be on a t-shirt here soon when you got that heft it, the, <laughs> he's the, got uh, the heft <laughs> he's got the heft that's that's gonna be how I describe overweight people now he's got the heft that's uh, a lot he can he can drop an, he can drop an anchor um, but <laughs> it, it just matters yeah. like the weight matters um and why I don't think offensive line are ever going to be 
go on the slim side because you're still kind of hold up to a bull rush. And that's Jackson Kirkland, Washington, off the tackle. It's mm-hmm. funny talking about his jump set. I was talking to Tristan Worth. That interview's on today's podcast at the back end here, talking about set versatility and jump set. He sat on a 45-degree angle so much at Iowa, and then they said mm-hmm. when he goes to Tampa Bay, so much more more vertical setting. He Him learning that on the fly was obviously like a challenge, but like – I was what it made me is like he was so good at it already though like and he could take and I think when you're vertical setting obviously giving some more momentum some sometimes to the edge defender and he could just take bull rushes easy and just, when you are that weight when you are that 320 man and you can handle it like that matters and you just have the heft when you have the heft man you can drop the anchor all right last guy here um, <laughs> tackle out of Texas A&M and then we'll bring up the honorable mention and get to our interior offensive line and then. The Tristan Worfs interview, Kenyon Green, after the tackle coming out of Texas A&M, 6'4", 325 listed at right now. I think he played this past year, what, mostly at guard, left guard, 74.2 run blocking grade, a 69.4 offensive grade. Yeah, so he's a tackle in name only because he has yet to play a snap at offense tackle, but he will be the left tackle this year. Played right guard as a true freshman, left guard as a sophomore. So he's 6'4", 325, and you would think, you would think this guy's 295, the way he moves on tape. He is just explosive see it from snap one just such an easy mover now pass protection still work in progress he is a lungy pass protector few too many attempts at kill shots on his tape but with his physical tools it's the ease of what what am i getting at here his life's going to be a lot easier with how physically imposing this dude is mm-hmm. and, and like getting him to a point where he can pass check to high level is not going to take as much technique as it would say an Eric Swenson out of Oklahoma or like other guys who do not move like Kenyon Green does. So I'm excited to see what he does this, this upcoming fall. Now I wouldn't draft him in the first round right now. If I had to, if he comes out right now without another down of football, I would be terrified to draft him. But I, I think there's a lot, a lot of projection, and, and there's not a lot of guys in this tackle class that have kind of ticked the boxes yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just the, the the two are that have are above him on the list. You know, that's it. <laughs> it's still early. I mean, yeah, there's a reason exactly. the name of the episode is the early 2022 draft yeah. list. A lot. You, you, he's, the Malik, to, he's the Malik Willis of the tackle class. There you go. We have to see Kenyon Green of Texas A&M play some snaps at tackle. Yeah. We have to see. I mean, even Evan Neal, you want to see him more play tackle and stuff like that. What's your going to be your honorable mention here? Because I know there are some names. You, said, you mentioned Swenson, Charles, Charles Cross is someone people are talking about. Thayer Mumford out of Ohio State. But there's one name I hope you bring in as this honorable mention because he's graded so well, has so many true pass sets. But where are you heading? Oh. I don't know who you're going to Abraham Lucas. Oh, you like Abraham Lucas? Okay. I mean, Abraham Lucas, again, he kind of, I mean, he's got that that Dillard grading profile. So the Washington State tackle, Abraham yep. Lucas, massive bully of a tackle. Like 330, I want to say he is, and like a great anchor. The guy I was going to go, though. But he's going to be, so he's going to be a redshirt junior, Lucas is, this upcoming. The guy who's going to be a true junior, ascending prospect, that I cannot believe I'm saying this is Zion Nelson, the Miami left tackle. Wow. Who, if you'll think back to 2019, week zero, it was against Florida, right? I think it was yeah, against, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was against against Florida. Florida. When they had the two, they had Zuniga and the West Virginia. He was a West true Virginia freshman Virginia. who had played tight end in high school. He earned a 0.0 pass blocking grade in that game. <laughs> Gave up two sacks, six total pressures. It was a disaster. And I'm like, wow. What, like, what is this? What are they even thinking throwing this guy out there? True freshman. that hasn't played tackle before. This past season, though, 78.7 pass blocking grade. I mean, he, does, he moves really well. He's a former tight end. So he goes from 46.8 pass blocking grade as a freshman, 78.7 this past season. And I'm just like, if he continues to get bigger... And obviously, he made massive. He was look. He looked like a tight end as a freshman. Looked closer to a tackle, but not quite tackle size this past fall. If he continues to get bigger, and you see that progression, I'm just excited to see what he can do. Maybe not, maybe a guy who's still more than a year away in mm-hmm. terms of being a real deal prospect, but he's already made massive, massive strides uh, at the position. So excited! Abraham Lucas, six foot seven. 328, absolute monster with the most true pass sets of any tackle we've mentioned. He has played tackle and played a lot in like a true passing, you know, true pass sets when we're bringing up like no play action, no RPOs, you know, ball gets, you know, ball, ball coming out after two seconds, that type of stuff. And you see it on his tapes, graded super well at Washington State. Lastly, here into your offensive line, starting with our guy, Tristan Wirfs. This is great, great lead in here. Tristan Wirfs talks a ton about him. He, he and him are best friends there at Iowa. Tyler Linderbaum, the center, who is an absolute dog 
um, that I think has actually beat Tristan Wirfs in a wrestling match. And Wirfs, Wirfs is like an all-time wrestler. Yeah. Linderbaum has beat him down. Yep. They are, uh, he's, they're both physically just out of this world, what they can do. It is, and you see the wrestling background on his tape repeatedly. He was, I, think, I believe, the highest graded center in college football this past year. I think he had a higher grade than 91.5 overall grade this past year, 90.6 in the run game. And he's, he's doing it six foot three, 289. Yeah, he's like, still undersized, but now he's at the size where it's like you can get by at that when you are as explosive as he is. Also, it, physical. I mean, you yeah. have the demeanor. You have like that. I feel like talk about a chip on his shoulder, guy who's been trying to like work up to a weight and work yeah. up to like a play style for a while now. And you see the hands like. The wrestling background come with just his grip strength. He does not let go uh, of blocks often. Only three pressures this past season. He is, he could have come out and, in my opinion, been up there with you know, Elijah Vera Tucker for like top and tier offense. Really, he's that good. I, uh, this guy is. Don't put a lot of offensive line in the first round. I would put Tyler Linderbaum in the first round. Man. That's sick, dude. Another thing that I think um, Worf brings up in the interview is just how much his past sets have improved and how much like, you've seen like major, major strides from Lenderbaum starting at center there at Iowa. Next guy here is NC State's Akem Ikwanu. I think is how I'm going to pronounce Ikem. that. Ikem. Ikem Ikwanu, 6'4", 325, a 91.2 PFF run blocking grade this past year. Played over 800 snaps at left tackle for NC State, but you see him more as an interior offensive line prospect. Yeah, right? I, I think this guy is a guard. Uh, he is... He's a horse. This is one of the most powerful dudes in college football right now. You only Evan Neal had more big time blocks. The big time. There you go. Big time. Big time blocks of any of the returning offensive linemen. I mean, that's how you get a ninety-one point two run blocking grade. Yeah. When you get those big time blocks, and when you're finishing people like that, that'll do it. He has big time blocks on his tape with one hand <laughs> at the second level. You see, so do I. Hip toss linebackers. He, he is just an explosive, scary run blocker. Now pass protection. Obviously, they kind of flipped him midway through last season from left guard to left tackle. Not going to do anyone any favors. He is not the most fleet of foot, but like I said, about as powerful as it gets in college football and run blocking grades of 85.0 and 91.2 in his two seasons. Just bullying kids. So this guy at the Hell guard yeah. position is pretty pretty scary. Dude. That might be a fun to watch target here. We he's might a, be... he's, he's a fun to watch for sure. All right. Donovan West, Arizona State guard, six foot three, three fifteen, a seventy six point seven PFF grade this past year. Only played what two hundred and sixty one snaps all at left guard this past year. Your thoughts on Donovan West, he's the number three guard, our interior offensive lineman on PFF's trap board right now. He's he's so for a true sophomore last season on his tape, he uses his hands extremely well and gains leverage on guys. He's not gonna be so we talked about Linderbaum, super fleet of foot, super athletic dude. Quainu's just powerful as hell. I don't think West has any physical calling card. Like, oh, wow, he's so dominant at XYZ. But he's good enough. And I think that we've said before that interior offensive line is probably the least physically sort of testing-wise demanding position of any on an NFL football field in terms of like the boxes you need to tick. But he's more than good enough, and like I said, uses his hands so well. I wish we just got would have gotten to see more of him because yeah. as a true freshman to earn sixty nine point two overall grade, we just talked about Zion fucking Nelson's forty six point eight sixty nine point two is extremely impressive for a guy to start right out the gate, especially yeah. over the snap count. He played over eight hundred snaps as a true freshman at Arizona yeah. State. So th this guy is a just a very solid all around interior offensive line prospect. He's got the size six three three fifteen to be either a guard or center has been guard though left guard on his tape so all right one more interior offensive lineman here for the 2022 draft class and then we're going to go on to the tristan Wirfs interview i'll go to the guy that teased the interview here kyle shot yeah the iowa guard who reminds me just the how he looks on his tape i'm not going to put this on him but ryan jensen the bucks oh center, wow where it's just like he looks mean as hell like just the way he approaches you got to hear how like words he, talks he, about him he too. looks like he's like when he's like engaging with blocks like ryan jensen it looks like he's like swinging punches like to try <laughs> to get onto dudes and that's what it looks like with shot he's just like like angry when he engages and that's what you see from him and actually in pass protection what do you allow like one or two pressures all last season that was only like five games but he was exceptional in that regard fairly athletic dude another guy who's kind of undersized at 6'2 293 but i'm excited to see just where he goes in, I believe he's going to be a redshirt junior this upcoming season. I mean, it's a perfect tease for the interview because, yeah. you know, there's two people that 
uh, Tristan Wurst on this interview talk a ton about. It's Tyler Linderbaum and this guy Kyler Schott. He calls him Shooter. And he's another guy that he almost raved about Shooter more than he did about Linderbaum. And I know Linderbaum right now, I think, on PFS draft board would be in the top 25 on PFS yeah. draft board. But Shooter, man, he is... He's, he's an interesting man. I mean, he's an interesting prospect because I do think that you want to see more snaps from him. Obviously played guard this past year, an 87.4 PFF pass blocking grade. But the meanness, the explosiveness, and how much worse also talks about, like, they get so we get so big at Iowa. Like, he, they, it's so easy to add weight at Iowa. We just throw around weight and just add just a ton. Of, they eat a ton of food there. I think I think shot and um, What else are you do? You're in fucking Iowa. That's true. Hey, that's true. All right. Well, that's going to do it for the 2022 early look at the offensive positions there. Top three with honorable mentions. Let's now go ahead and jump to the Tristan Wirfs interview. Now joining the 241 Drafts podcast is a, a huge friend of the podcast. This is your third time on the show, my guy. We had you before the draft, I think a little bit after, and now now you're a Super Bowl champion. You know, I knew you before you were a Super Bowl champion. Let's just all say that. But Tristan Wirfs, Tampa Bay offensive tackle here, Super Bowl champion, should have been offensive rookie of the year. And according to PFF, the sixth best offensive tackle in the NFL right now. Just one year into your career, man. You are a fireworks show, man. It's great to have you on the podcast. Yeah, I'm excited. Thanks for having me. Let's start with this. I know you recently got a tattoo. Show the people watching here on YouTube, 224 Drafts, this new tattoo. You got you won a Super Bowl. It was only justified that you go out and get some new ink on the arm here. Fantastic, dude. I, I'm thinking about getting a tattoo myself. It won't be a Lombardi trophy, unfortunately, but we're hoping we're hoping for something as good as that, man. That's awesome, dude. Hell yeah. I mean, it turned out so good. I, no one here, no one probably listening has actually won a Super Bowl. I'd love to know, like, what are the first things you do after winning a Super Bowl? Because I do think, like, in the first few hours after, it has to be one of the most surreal experiences. Like, talk us through the confetti and hanging with the teammates and, I'm sure, champagne bottles, all that stuff. Like, what happens after you win a Super Bowl, especially as a young kid like yourself? Yeah, so the confetti was when it all kind of, like, fed in for me because – I mean, the score being what it was, like, there was, like, two, you know, a couple minutes left, and everyone was hugging and everything. And then I remember the clock hitting double zero, and I kind of, like, didn't know how to how to react almost. I kind of was, like, looking around. And then we were out on the field, and the confetti went off. And, you know, like, I, I get goosebumps talking about it. It's like you watch the Super Bowl every year, you know, growing up, and you see the confetti. And then actually just being a part of it, like, having the confetti fall down on you was just a surreal experience. That was that was amazing. Um. But yeah, afterwards, it's just a lot of uh, like out on the field. Like our families got to come on. Like we seen, you know, BA was up on stage. Tom was up on stage, you know, talking and everything. And yeah, in the locker room, I remember we went in the locker room. Everybody had like the goggle, like the ski goggles. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was just it was crazy. Like it felt like that night just went on forever. Like it was it was awesome. That's freaking awesome, man. Good for you, man. I'm super happy for you. I'd love to hear more, too, about like just the, the energy of this team and the expectations for this team has to be insane. And it had to be insane when you got there. You know, Tom Brady is now in Tampa Bay. We are instantly Super Bowl contenders. And then you go out and win a Super Bowl. You return all 22 starters in the offseason. You get Shaq Barrett back. You get Antonio Brown back. And Kong Su. All these guys start coming back. I'm sure the energy right now and in, in, in the offseason and the group chats that you have and the expectations just have to be insane. How excited is this group in Tampa Bay to do it again yeah I mean I think everyone's really excited I mean it was the first time ever you know the 20 all 22 stars have come back so you know I think guys you know realize you know I think in, in free agency you know you guys usually go off and and you know get paid but I think that's kind of the mindset around here is like you know we we know what we have and you know we're excited to get you know get to work and and go for two so it was just like I remember just I could get the notifications on my phone like oh this guy resigned this guy resigned this guy resigned it was just it was so cool yeah, that's awesome. I'd love to hear more, too, about like the camaraderie along the offensive line, because it's one of the better offensive lines in the NFL. Ali Marpet, Ryan Jensen, a dirty, nasty group that I think had a lot of pride. You add to that mix. You know, They traded up for you to bring you in, that missing piece at right tackle, and you join a very star-studded group, and you guys have a lot of success out of the gate. Block for the most notable quarterback in the game's history and have a ton of success. Obviously, him getting the ball out pretty fast, too, and all that different stuff, but protecting the GOAT, the greatest quarterback of all time. What's the camaraderie like? What's the energy like along the offensive line? And how close are you, are you to those guys? Oh, like, I, I love those guys. I think I think we've gotten really close over this, you know, past past year, year, year and a couple months. Um, you know, we've – I feel like we've made, like, four different group chats. Like, we're always talking. <laughs> um, and I remember just coming in last year, n not really knowing what to expect, but, like, all those guys just, you know, took me in with open arms. Um you know, I, I couldn't have asked for anything better. You know, Donnie was 
helped me out with all camp. You know, Josh Wells helped me out all camp. All season, like they were just always, always helped me and everything. And you know, getting getting to play next to playing next to Kappa was was unreal. He helped me. He helped me so much. And Jensen, you gotta love Jensen. And, and then like Allie, me and Allie, I think me and Allie got a, like a funny relationship because I always try and like get under his skin. But um, I like I love those guys, and it's 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 been awesome to get to get to know them and their families and everything. Which, um, but yeah, it's I think we're I think we're a really really tight group. Do you think there's, you know, to hit the ground running as, as, as good as you did, you know, you had the highest grade by a rookie offensive tackle, according to PFF, we've seen since 2009. Like, you hit the ground running unlike really we've ever seen at the offensive tackle position. Who do you think kind of most attributed to that? Obviously yourself, but was it a teammate? Was it a coach? Even someone outside of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers organization? Who do you, you know, attribute a lot of that success to? Obviously, a lot of that is on yourself, but who are some of the guys that really or someone that really helped you along the way and helped you get off such to a hot start? Oh my goodness. Um, I think there's like, honestly, like, I think there's a lot of people that, that, you know, that helped me and, and have, you know, are still helping me. You know, I mean, all the way back to Iowa, you know, coach Ferentz, like the way he runs his program is super pro style. And I, I think that got, got me ready for what it's going to be like, you know, here now, you know, and coach Gilbert, like all off season, you know, we were, we were meeting on zoom and everything kept, you know, getting the playbook down and everything. And he, you know, he was always, open to me like asking questions and I was I was a little nervous to ask ask questions but it, it made it a little bit easier that we we're not in person it was an, it's easier to ask a question like over zoom than it is in person but you know then like I said like Donovan Smith um Josh Wells like those two guys you know just showing me little things you know I can I can tweak um just you know I remember I'd come off the field and Josh would ask me he's like oh what'd you you know what'd you see like what, what moves did you get just stuff like that and um but I think, yeah, I, th- I think it's a lot of people that, you know, are, are helping me along the way, you know, just trying to trying to help me, you know, be the best that I can be. Collective effort. Absolutely. I want to talk more about Coach Ferentz in Iowa at the end of this, but I will say I will bring this up. I was watching a handful of interviews that you've done and, and you talked a little bit about, you know, how often you're doing 45 degree angle sets at Iowa and then that transition to doing so many more vertical sets in Tampa Bay's offense. I'd love to hear from your perspective how important that set versatility is for young offensive tackles going from college to the NFL, having that set versatility. What does that do for you going against obviously talented pass rushers in the NFL? Well, yeah, so I think that's kind of funny that, that, yeah, I always sat on a 45 when I was at Iowa. And I think it's just like, that's, that's just what we did there. You know, we, we just sat on a 45, but for me, like in college, like it, it, that's just what I felt most comfortable doing. Like I just wanted to get on the guy quick, get my hands on him. And I like, I knew I'd, I'd be all right, but you can't, you can't do You can't do that at this level. You know, if you're sitting on a 45, just, just consistently, you know, you're giving up the inside and, and, and guys will take that, you know, in the blink of an eye, you know, here. So, uh, I mean, you can still throw it in there every once in a while, but you know, you know, you're wanting to get more depth off the ball, and um, it's it, it's just it's weird, you know, going from that's all I did at Iowa was setting on a 45 to now it's like you gotta you you gotta set back, <laughs> gotta get back, <laughs> you gotta get depth. I agree, man. I, 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 on that same note, I'd love to hear. You know, you've had that you've had a year to think about it, or I guess a year plus to think about it. Who are who are some of the guys that stick out to you after your first season in the NFL that were some of the most difficult pass rushers you saw? Guys that gave you the most fits or the best opponents that you saw in year one? Oh my gosh, um, I think there's a lot of guys that. Oh my goodness. I mean, I think Cleo Max got to be up there. He's he's just he's so fast and so strong. Like, you know, you go into a game and and you and you know a guy like, oh, he's a he's a power guy. You know, he's gonna give you bowl. He's gonna you know he's gonna try and come down the middle of you. And then you got speed guys who are gonna try and run around you, give you a bunch of moves. You know, swipes, rips, all this stuff. Um, and he's so good at, at both of them. He's so strong and fast that you know he he'll be flying off the edge out of a wide nine and look like you know look like speed. And then he plants his foot and, and, you know, long arms you right, right into your quarterback's lap. So it's just like, you know, you got to be ready for both with him. And then like Cam Jordan, you don't see a lot of guys his size that move the way he do, or the way he does, um, you know, coming off, the, coming off the edge, just flying at you, you know, you got to be ready to, to anchor down. Um, you know, Joey Bosa, he's, you know, he's crazy. He's crazy athletic. The way he can, bend, you know, bend the edge and everything, you know, Brian Burns the same way. Um, but it's yeah, I think there was a lot of guys, and it was cool getting to for me getting to see all those different moves and different type of rushers. Yeah, um, I, I really like that. But yeah, it was it was crazy getting to go against all those guys this year. 
When we had you on the podcast before you were drafted, we talked a little bit about your preparation, how you prepare for certain pass rushers, what you look for on tape. How much has that changed since you've gotten in the NFL when you're turning on the tape and you're looking at Joey Bosa, Brian Burns, Khalil Mack, these different pass rushers? How much has your preparation, maybe specifically on film, changed as you go into each game? Um, I think I think from a pass rush point of you know point of view, it hasn't changed much because I'm still trying to you know look at what their go-to move is. You know, if they get stopped on that first move, what are they going to second? You know, how their first step is. But I think. Um, Run game wise, it's it's changed a little bit in how, um, like how an offensive lineman changing up your stance or, or changing, you know, something will throw them off. Um, so, so I think pass rush wise, it hasn't changed a whole lot, but run game, it's just it's a little bit different because like I I kind of was um, like lean into my blocks a little bit, like my shoulders would be over my toes, and it's just because like in Iowa we we took off running, you know, we, we came off the ball and like here, you know, it's a little bit in the, in the NFL is a little bit different. You know, we're not really flying off the ball or we're still trying to fly off the ball, but just um, not like reach, get like run around guys. And we're trying to reach everybody, you know, mm-hmm. we can, we're trying to like, you know, just stay in front of them, you know, just move guys. But um, it, it hasn't changed a whole lot. I'd say. Gotcha. I know you're a big goal setter. I, I was reading something where you, you know, you put on sticky notes on your mirror, bathroom mirror about, you know, last year was keep Tom Brady safe and don't get yelled at by Tom Brady. What are what's next for you, man? Should have been offensive rookie of the year. I will pound that table all day long. Super Bowl champion, one of the best rookie offensive tackles we've seen over the past decade. What's next? What is on the sticky notes on that bathroom mirror this year? Because there's just I know there's a lot more you want to do, but I'd be interested to know what is on the books. You know, what's on your goals for 2021 and beyond? It's funny. I was like, I was just thinking about that the other day. Um, you know, I was in the weight room in Iowa, and since like, since like, I came in as a freshman, I've always wanted you know my picture up on the wall there, you know, my jersey up on the wall. And I was looking at it um, on Monday, and uh, they got all the guys that made the Pro Bowl. They got all their jerseys in there, and I was like, I think that's what you know I'm going to write on my on my sticky note this year. Because um, I want you know just being up on that wall next to you know there's got. George Kittle, Marshall Yonda, like Brandon Scherf, guys like that are up there. And it's, you know, to to go in that weight room and see that and, like, you know, hope your your jersey's up there one day next to those guys is, is pretty pretty cool. Hell yeah, man. That's awesome, dude. Awesome to hear. Let's talk a little bit more about Iowa. I know that's where you're at right now. Are you working out Monday, Wednesday, Friday? Love to see that. Um, you know, talk to me about the relationship you have with Tyler Linderbaum, Kyler Schott, two of the best interior offensive linemen returning to college football, both Iowa guys. I'd be interested to know, you know, your relationship with them and kind of your expectations for them. Where do those guys get better? I'm, I'll tell you right now, um, you know, we do a lot of draft coverage on this podcast. Tyler Linderbaum is a top 15 player on PFS 2022 draft board right now. Obviously, a lot of things change in those types of things, but high expectations for Lindy there. And also shot as well your thought your, your expectations for them and, and if you could more on your relationship with those two guys yeah I mean my expectations for them is that you know they're going to go out there and handle their business like I, I've known those two guys for, for a very long time and I know what they're about and um, I don't think they're too worried about other people's expectations but you know I know that the um, I know the expectations they put on themselves is, is very high so you know, I think they're going to go out there and have a, have a really great year um, I mean those are you know those are my boys, you know, my, my buddy Coy, you know, I lived with Coy and, and um, Kyler for, for three years. Those are my best friends. Um, we just had Kyler's grad, you know, Coy and Kyler graduated. You know, so we were at, had a Kyler graduation party two weeks ago. And um, yeah, I, I love those guys. I mean, <laughs> Kyler, he's a freak. Shooter's a freak. Um, shooter is Kyler. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's so cool to, to watch those guys now, you know, and, and, Especially, especially Lindy, seeing from where he came, you know, I remember the first. Yes, exactly. I was going to bring it up. Yeah. The first bowl prep practice where he came over from, uh, from D-line to O-line. Watching his, watching his sets were, were so <laughs> funny. But now, like, me and him were working uh, the other day. Um, and, like, his sets and everything, like, the way he comes off the ball – it's just, you know, pre- pretty smooth and, and shooter, you know, that's my, that's my brother. You know, I remember when he came, um, so he was a, he was a walk-on guy and uh, they called him like a week into camp and say, Hey, you know, we had a couple of guys go down and they're like, Hey, we need you to get here now. And so he came like the next day and like, just, he wasn't going to come till the season started. And uh, just seeing, you know, from, from where he, I mean, he was, I mean, he was good, you know, he was good then, but just, those, just having those memories from where we were at to where we are now is just, you know, I, I love it. 
That's freaking awesome, man. That's that's cool that you have a relationship with those guys. I'd love to hear a little bit more if you could peel back the curtain on Linderbaum and because he showed up. Not only was he a defensive lineman that flipped the offensive line, but he also has had to add a ton of weight. Like, didn't he have to add a ton of weight over the past few years? What has he done to kind of aggressively attack that? I know that's never been a problem for you. You're what three twenty around that range. You've been in a good place for a long time. But Linderbaum has like legitimately had to stack on weight over the past few years. How much has he attacked that, and how much has that been a priority for him? And honestly, how has he done it? Oh, well, that's a, that's a big thing in Iowa. Like they're, you know, building guys up. And I think, I think he's sitting about like 295 now, um, mm-hmm. but he, like, he's, he's looking, he's looking good. He's moving good. And uh, that's just, you know, I mean, we train hard, we, we eat hard. Um, when, when, when we're here, it's just like, um, I, I mean, I, I don't know. It's like, that's just, that's just the way it goes here. Yeah. You know, guys, guys get big. <laughs> Love to see that's That should be honestly on the wall somewhere. Guys get big here at Iowa. We can finish with this, man. I really appreciate the time. I'd love to hear a little bit more. You spoke to him a little bit, but Coach Ferentz, you know, what he's done at Iowa, the culture he's brought in Iowa. He's getting guys big over there, I've heard. What he did for you and what he's doing for this program, man. Talk to it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, love, I love Coach Ferentz. He's you know one of the best coaches I've ever had. Um, and I think, I think there's hundreds of guys that can say the same thing. Um, you know, but the way he, you know, runs his program, you know, he holds guys accountable, you know, for, for, for our actions. And, you know, you know, he wants guys to be really disciplined there. And, you know, it's for, it's for a good reason. You know, that's why, you know, Iowa puts out guys, you know, guys like Marshall Yonda, who, you know, it's just, it's just crazy. Just the, the culture there. And, um, you know, you know what you're getting into when you, when you sign up. Um, but it's, it's, it's pretty special, you know, what, what coach Ferentz does. And the thing that I, I think will, never understand is how he remembers everybody's names. I know this, it might be a little side <laughs> note, but like, you know, guys will come back, you know, to, to, to talk to the team, you know, bring their families and like, he knows like their kids' names, like ask how they're doing, you know, how they're doing in this sport or just, you know, how, how the, their instrument, their plan's going. Just, I don't know how he remembers. Like he, he actually <laughs> truly like cares about all, every one of his players and, 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 you know, their well being Cause he wants, you know, he wants guys to, to leave that program and be able to go out into their communities and be, you know, good men, good husbands, you know, good fathers, Yeah. you know, just good people in your community. Like that, that's, that's what he, you know, he truly wants, um, you know, and I, like, I'll love coach Ferris forever. He's, he's incredible. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's how you do it, man. Having those relationships with those players and building up that culture. I mean, that's exactly how you, you kind of turn a program around and continue to take it forward. I meant to ask you this. I know I said that was my last question. Your goal was to not get yelled at by Tom Brady. Did you ever get yelled at by Tom Brady? Did Tom ever rip into you at all to practice or anything like that? I don't, I don't think so. I think Dude, I goal achieved. I don't know. I, I think he, I think he yelled at the O line during the Bears game when we had that drive where there was like eight penalties, but uh, never just at me. And I think I, I think I achieved my goal. That was, that was you, at the, that was at the top of the list. <laughs> you love to see it, man. Well, that's awesome. Really, really happy for you, man. Congratulations on the Super Bowl win. Congratulations on what was an absolutely insane rookie season. I can't wait to have you on the podcast again, my friend. Oh yeah, thank you, brother. Man. Every time we get him on the podcast, dude is freaking awesome. Super Bowl tattoo, two goals on his sticky notes this past year. Don't get yelled at by Tom Brady and protect Tom Brady. And he hit on both of those, one of the best offensive tackles. Rookie offensive seasons we've seen from a tackle, like literally yeah. and since we've been grading NFL. And that started in 2006, which is just absolutely absurd. Always good to have Tristan Wurst on the show. We'll have to get him back on again. Maybe when he wins his second Super Bowl. Who knows? But that's going to do it for this uh, this week's episode. Austin Gale, Mike Renner, Mike Quinn, producer David Sofaro, two for one drafts. Mm-hmm.